November 5, 2022. It's what for Pedro's show. Begins to fry, man. 
heartbeat makes us move, move our feet. Melody of the earth singing, singing this song. Dance is mandatory. 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 Mandatory dance is mandatory. Dance is mandatory. Watch for Pedro Show. Uh, happy Saturday. Start off with Cripple School with Nelly, Tony Smoke, John Coltrane. Live at the five spot, 1957, year I was born. Then we had William Parker with Airlift. Voices fall from the sky. I guess it was a collab. Oh, I should tell you people, because the Estonian software engineers with their sky of invention I got with me. Mr. William Parker. Welcome to the Pedro Show, William. Oh, thank you very much. Absolutely. Big honor. And uh, thanks to Stevie and Steven for making this happen. Uh, can you bring your earliest musical recollection please well my earliest uh, introduction to music was when i was about seven years old my father who's uh my father had two heroes and one of them was duke ellington and the other one was the apache chief geronimo and um he would come home from work and play uh the 1957 recording of diminuendo and crescendo in blue um Duke Ellington live in Newport. And um, and he did that like every night, you know. And also on the weekends, there were uh, music, music of Coleman Hawkins, Ben Webster, Johnny Hodges. And uh, those, those were strong, strong uh, images and sounds that this, I remember and kind of stuck with me my whole uh, teenage years until I decided to uh, begin to play music. But actually, what happened was uh, my father just came home one day and he gave me a trumpet and he gave my brother a alto saxophone. And um, I realized that uh, later on, you know, we went for lessons and I realized later on that was my father's dream to for us to play in the Ellington Orchestra. Whoa. Wasn't there a time when uh, Duke Ellington experimented with two bass players? Uh, he might have. He might have. Um, he had some great, great bass players. One of my uh, latter influences of his music was when he did the uh, Far East Suites and Soul Call. He had a bass player called John Lamb, yeah. who was very, very, very... Great bass player, an interesting bass player. And, uh, you know, of course, before that and way back, he had, you know, Jimmy Blanton. Jimmy and, Blanton, of course. Yeah. And uh, even Mingus played with him for a very short time. So he's always had very, very good musicians. And the band was based off of his music, but also the personalities of the musicians right. that wrote for. Which is a beautiful thing. Uh, I asked you that because I've been reading these biographies on John Coltrane where he got the two base idea was from Duke Ellington, some of these books say. Like C. Oh, okay. uh, Simpkins, okay. Mr. Simpkins' book and Bill Cole's book. And so that's why I asked you. Uh, in this pad, before your pop 
brought the trumpet and the alto. Was there instruments, or were those the first instruments brought into the path? Well, we used to, uh, one of our favorite games when we were growing up was jam session. And we used to we used to have these Mattel Fanner 50 six-shooter guns, and we would turn them around and pretend like they were trumpets. <laughs> and so we would play jam, you know, like all the other kids, you know, you play tag or shoot them up. Yeah. We played jam session, and we'd create these characters who were playing like uh, solos that lasted for, for weeks. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was very, very, very uh, interesting period. <laughs> what was and I didn't realize that was a hip thing to do, you know, till later on. Yeah, yeah. What was the first record you bought with your own money? I guess, you know, on Saturday was, was record buying day. And I, I would buy my father a record. And then buy uh, one for us. I guess the first ones were still like uh, Ben Webster and stuff that that kind of uh, uh, you know reflected off of my father. But then I, we saw the Atlantic Records, uh, Ornette Coleman, yeah. and they were switched from stereo records to Monaro, and they were selling very cheap. Cheap, so they, they had these very interesting covers. Like this is my music, yeah. Ornette. Coleman or free jazz so we didn't know what it sounded like but we bought it because of the covers <laughs> and and, uh, and we liked it we liked it and then when you read the liner notes sure it hit other musicians they said they keep talking about Coltrane they keep talking about Albert Isler I keep talking about Archie Shep so we had to find so what do these guys sound like yeah so uh, and then one thing just led to another they talk about a writer and uh, and then eventually you you gravitate to like a Mary Baraka's black music, which was like the primer for for learning about the music of the '60s. Right. And uh, he laid it out with the you know the players, you know Pharaoh Sanders, Archie Shep, John Chakai, and then you realize these guys were on a Coltrane's Ascension, right. and Dolphy and uh, Freddie Hubbard, Freddie Hubbard, Wilberware, and uh, so. Uh, that was a, that was the music school. That, that was how you learned about you know your music and the culture extensions of the freedom movement and civil rights movement that was were going on you know later on in the sixties. So it was a it was a great uh, sort of kinetic passing of energy and information. Yeah. What was the first gig you saw? Well, you know the first gig I saw was a bass player named uh, Peck Morrison, I believe. And he played up in the Bronx at the library up there. And uh, that I, I was trying to put things together, you know, because you hear this music and you say, well, what does that sound like? Yeah. What does it look like? But then I saw him. Then later on, I saw a bass player, Victor Gaskin. Oh, yeah. And I guess the first bass player I met was, uh, was Charlie Hayden. Whoa. And I met him at 125th Street at the County Cullen Library. He was doing a concert with the vibe player Carl Berger and uh, Horace Arnold and alto player Carlos Ward. What about school? Were you in the choir, the marching band, or shit like that? No, I wasn't. Not in any. You know, in junior high school, I was in the band because I I switched from trumpet from trumpet to trombone then cello, and uh, that's how I got interested in the bass because. I was interested in the cello, but what I really wanted to play was the bass. And when I got to high school, 
uh, I began to work on my aesthetics of living and my aesthetics of music and art. I was a big, got into film, you know, watching the films of Jean-Luc Godard and Francois Truffaut and uh, filmmaker Stan Brackett, Kenneth Anger, uh, Maya Darren, and I began to expand my scope of things. I was writing poetry and writing uh, plays, little one-act plays, and um, so I was, you know, stepping out in that area uh, as far as, but is arts. And then it wasn't until I really, really listened to John Coltrane's A Love Supreme, and he started talking about, you know, I want to be a force for good. I want to play music that will uplift people. And I figured out why music existed. You know, and it didn't exist for people to dance to. It didn't exist for people to, uh, the whole thing was to enlighten and uplift people. So I said, I want to participate in that. I wanted, I wanted, uh, that's the reason I want to play music. So then I said, I'll see if I can make a contribution. Yeah. yeah. I want to play uh, Eternal is the Voice of Love.
I'm in the Lower East Side. Are you hearing some music outside? No, I'm hearing some rattling. Some. Oh, that, I'm just opening up a, a some lunch here. Okay. <laughs> but it, it, it's it's over. Okay. <laughs> it's real. Yeah. Let, let's tell the people we just heard. Uh, that chunk of music start off with "Eternal Is the Voice of Love," Part Two, "Color Against Autumn Sky." William Parker, in order to survive. Uh, the shape of Iraamu to come. Iraamu, this is Will Hamilton's uh, the last part of his song cycle. Many birthdays after that brand new them uh, 
with the cover of You're Dead. Displina Kishma from early 80s, I think 1981, in fact. It was called, still called Yugoslavia then. Zvita Mise, uh, the Go Team featured Star Feminine Band. Look Away, Look Away, that's brand new from them. Beat Goes On from the Screamers, Map Gardens Live, 1978. Noem Bucci, brand new, Screaming at Brutism. Tragic Assembly with Dedicated Shoegaze, that's Phil in North Carolina. Samuel Lockward, East of my own Macon, out of Iowa. And then an excerpt from William Parker's In Case of Accident. So, uh, was your first bass a stand-up? Yes, 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 yes. I had a a bass. Uh, there was a store in the Bronx called Bronin's Music Store, and they had a bass in their Juzak bass for uh, selling for a hundred dollars. Whoa! And this was like uh, around nineteen sixty-eight or something like that. Ah, so it'd be like a thousand dollars. Oh, it'd be more than that yeah, now. Yeah, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be up there, but I still have that base. And so it was kind of days you put down a dollar. Yeah. And then you put down another dollar. And so finally, uh, I came in to buy that base to get to pick it up, and I was a dollar short. Oh, shit. And the guy says to me, please, please, just, just, just take it. Just take it. <laughs> so I, I took the base. Yeah. And um, I was walking to Webster Avenue to get the bus back home, and a guy ran up to me and he said, "Man, you you a you a bass player?" And I said, "Who are you talking to?" He said, "I said you, man. You got a bass. You a bass player?" I said, "I said yeah, yeah. I'm a bass player." I said, "Man, why don't you come to the jam session on Sunday? This was like Monday." So I had I said I said okay. So I got the address, and then I remember. A few weeks before that, I saw Charlie Hayden, and he told me, well, he learned how to play the bass by listening to records and playing along with music. Yeah. So uh, so I said, I come to the jam session. So I came to the jam session. I practiced all week. And uh, so I, Sunday, I got up to the jam session, and they were so happy. You know, the bass flute, they never had a bass player. So I got there, and they said, you know, straight, no chasing, F. I said, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And I didn't know what an F or a B flat or a C <laughs> or a D was. Did you know but the tune? I, da, 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 da. Did you know the tune? No, I didn't know the tune. Oh, you know, because you could know the tune without knowing the chords. So I, I was just curious. No, I didn't know the tune, but but okay. but but you know. So then we played, and I and I picked it up right away. And then they said, "Man, you you got a good feel on that bass, man." So they started giving me solos. And I played all of these tunes all by ear. And then I noticed that my the, my fingers were big red bubbles. They had blood <laughs> underneath my two fingers. And I said, so I said, I got to get out of this. So I said, well, hey, cats, man. You know, they're sort of calling each other cats. And um, so I didn't know what they were talking about at first. I thought they had cats in the apartment, <laughs> but I... That wasn't that was jazz musician talk. So I said, "Man, I got another thing to go through." So I uh, packed up, and then that next week I went to the Jazzmobile Music School. Wow! And because uh, I said I gotta I gotta get to where I'm doing, so I went down there, and uh, Paul West, 
who was the bassist with Dizzy Gillespie, mm -hmm. running the ensemble. And, they had, and I met Kenny Durham. Wow. I met Curtis Fuller. Uh, Roland Hanna was there. Uh, Freddie Waits, Albert Tootie Heath. Tootie uh, Heath. Lee Morgan was there. Um, Curtis, uh, the other, Benny Powell was there. And then the bass teacher was Richard Davids. So I um, so I went there for, for, for a couple of weeks, you know, and they, they, they and, and learned something about the bass. Yeah. Although in my heart, you know, every time I would go over to Joe Newman and said, Man, you know, what about Albert Island, Archie Shep? They said, Oh no, we don't do that here. No, we don't do that here, Park. We don't do that. So I said, if you want that, you gotta go downtown. So I, um, you know, slowly migrated from there to taking lessons with uh, Jimmy Garrison. Whoa. And um, he, he lived on Western Avenue. So he charged uh, $18 for a lesson. And um, so I did that. And... Um, it was, uh, it was very fruitful. Hanging out with him, I met Beaver Harris. I met a bunch of musicians, uh, the lawyer, William Kunstler. Wow. And, uh, so, that was John Coltrane's manager. Well, yeah, you know, he was a lawyer for, for, for a lot of the, for the Black Panthers. And, yeah. and um, uh, no, they no, were Lovett. Uh, Mr. Lovett, that's who I'm thinking of. Because he was yeah. Miles Davis's man. Yeah, yeah. I remember Mr. Cutsler uh, with the Panthers and stuff. When I, was, I was born in 57, so I'm a little bit younger. But I remember those uh, days as a boy. Do you think uh, playing the bone helped you uh, inform some stuff on the bass? Not, not really. No, not really. I think just beginning to study the concept of making sound and beginning to know the aesthetics of the music really helped me. Because I kind of knew what I wanted to do before I picked, you know, I took a lesson. Yeah. I wanted to play freak jazz. I wanted to play the fire music. I wanted to play the cosmic music. Right. And so you didn't really, what about people like Paul Chambers and uh, Ray Brown and stuff? Did well, you, you know, we, we um, in the bass, you know, workshop, uh, Art Davis was there one week. Ah. Incredible. And, Dr. Uh, and, and Milton came by and, you know, so took some stuff with them. You know something? What, what I found out was they said, you know, well, everybody was trying to transcribe Paul Chambers. Okay. And um, so I, I I looked at it and, and heard it and I said, there's no way in a million years I'm on, I'm on a uh, sound like Paul Chambers. Yeah. And then later on I found out now, that was one of the best things I could have done is not try to sound like Paul Chambers because I realized that Paul Chambers is Paul Chambers. And I was William Parker, and uh, I had to find out where I was on the instrument and what I how I heard music. And that's when that came to come the concept of musical DNA, that everybody had their own musical DNA, and they had their own path that own way of, of doing things and I had to find my way that's an excellent point excellent I wish more people t would take that to heart because yeah you have giants and heroes but the idea is not to copy 
I mean, you can copy them, but then after a while, you got you got to cut them loose. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. that makes real good sense. And uh, I mean, you were carrying that base. Did you have a case, like some kind of cover? Yeah, I had a cover. Okay. It came with a cover, a soft cover, and I would just put, you know, take a take a strap. Take a rope, put it on my back, and I'm off and running. Oh wow! Because I seen pictures of Jimmy Garrison like with a wheel on the peg. Yeah, I, I was trying to find a place to get a wheel, but I could never find a place to get a wheel. So I ended up making my own wheel, <laughs> and so it was a William Parker wheel, yeah, yeah. and I used that for a while. Okay. Uh, when that broke, I would fix it. And later on, I found out that they did have it. When I discovered something called the bass shop, uh, and I, I didn't have to do my own bass repairs, it was actually someone called a luthier that oh, yeah. could repair the bass. I did. I uh, they also sold a, a bass wheel called the Ray Brown okay. bass wheel. I got to so see him play to... a few times. He's an incredible bass man. Incredible bass. Look, we're at the end of the first hour, November 5, 2022 edition. What Peter is special guest, William Parker. Hold tight for hour two. November 5, 2022 is the second hour. What Pedro show. You have to think and wake up. Wake up. You got to change the inside of your soul. You got to get rid of the mold. You have to change your soul. And you'll never grow old. You'll never grow old. Look out. Look out. Listen to my words. They must be heard. Revolution from the inside out. Think. Wink. But don't blink. Be strong and sing your song. How intellectual is a bullet? Come out, come out. Wherever you are, unite. Become the mountain and dance. Paint the sunlight and make it bright. Get on board, get on board. Freedom train, freedom train. Free yourself from yourself. Free yourself from yourself. Do the tone world of the ancient future that will repeat itself. That will repeat itself. If 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 that will repeat itself.
Watch for Pedro Show start off the second hour. Samba. William Parker featuring Lena Conquest. After that, we had Lisa Cameron, Damon Smith, Alex Cunningham doing unforeseen ciphers of the world. And then Song for Jesus in three-fourths time. William Parker Quartet. Yeah, you know what trips me out uh, about reading these bios on John Cotrain? The, the heaviness, how 3-4 was like a, a radical move because everything, a lot of the, that bop was just straight four. And, uh, yeah, it shook up a lot of feathers. It seems <laughs> a lot of things did, man. The critics in those days, oh, man, I guess this downbeat magazine, they kind of ruled the scene and terrible stuff they would write about John uh, back to your, uh, besides jamming with those guys and you're going to this, uh, you're taking lessons from Jimmy Garrison and such, uh, do you join a unit? Well, you know, uh, after Jimmy Garrison, uh, some wonderful things happened. You know, I, um, I just began playing with people. I began, I played at a place called. The Firehouse, which was 611 East, um, no, the 304 East 11th Street, owned by a saxophone player named Alan Glover. And uh, I joined, I played began playing with him. And right around the corner from there, you know, uh, Andrew Hill lived. And in that place, the Firehouse, we rehearsed at, I, ran, I met Billy Higgins. Whoa. And Billy Higgins. Uh, we began to play duos. He invited me out to his house in in Brooklyn, and the first time I went out there, I met Clifford Jordan and the piano player Chris Anderson, and Wolver Ware was also out there. So I met all these musicians, and then different things happened with my relationship with them. I began studying with Wilbur, and I met Rashid Ali, I met Sonny Murray, I met Charles Tyler, I met Earl Cross, I met Frank Lowe, I eventually met Frank Wright, I met Cecil Taylor, I met uh, Don Cherry. In 1975, I played with Don Cherry at the Five Spot and the reincarnation of the Five Spot. Yep, yeah. and then I used to play at Hill, a place called Hillies on the Bowery, which later became CBGB's. I played there with Rashid Ali. And in the five spot, it was like the Lower West Side, right? Like Hudson Street or something? Well, the, this one that opened up, the last, latest, latest version of it was on St. Mark's Place. Oh, on the East Side. Okay. Yeah, the, the last version of it. And Wilbur Ware, he, he played a lot with Thelonious Monk. Did you learn Thelonious Monk stuff from him? Well, you know, Wilbur, I asked Wilbur about Monk. I said, when you play with Monk, uh, what did he? What did you do? What did he tell you to play? And he said that uh, Monk told him he can pl play anything you want to play. You know, uh, there's an interview with John Coltrane and August Bloom, and he talks about what an inventive bass player Wilbur Ware was. Yeah, no, Wilbur was the bomb. And the thing is that you never knew whether Wilbur knew anything about music. And I would ask Wilbur, I said, "Well, Wilbur, do you know anything about music?" And he would say. What's music? <laughs> it's natural. And, and the thing is that, um, you know, I would go in for my bass lesson. He would play something on the bass, and then he would give me the bass. 
And then if I played what he played, he said, that's wrong. Then he played something else, and then he passed the bass to me. If I played what he played, he says, that's wrong. Then he would pass the bass to me, play something, he played something. Then I'd play something on my own. He said, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And he, said, he says, you, when, when you study here, basically what he's saying, you don't sound like me. Yeah. You don't, you don't steal my licks. You don't sound like me. You find yourself. And when I played myself, he loved it. Wow. That's, that's beautiful. I'm going to play this uh, music you gave me here, Silver Sunshine.
Pedro Show, that chunk of music, star William Parker doing Silver Sunshine. Then we had Eugene Chadburn with what? Shiverboard with Ann Hill. And then the Morning Mantra from William Parker Orchestra. William, what was uh, your first composition you wrote on the bass? Well, you know, I um, like the idea of filmmakers who were directors and screenwriters. And that was uh, every filmmaker I liked, you know, from uh, Igmar Bergman to Francois Truffaut, Jean-Luc Godard, they would direct the movie and they would write the um, the, the screenplay. And one of the first things I did um, was a composition called um, Después de la Guerra, which means after the war. And that's recorded on Voices Fall from the Sky. And um, it's the point like... like um, it's in Spanish, you know, after the war, there's still a war. The land is dying, but there's still hope. That's the sentiment there. And um, I never had a piano, so I either would write all my music off of the bass and, uh, or I would, you know, sing it and, 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 and figure it out because I, I, I literally, you know, it was a long time down the line that I got a piano. And when I got a piano, by then I was anti- well, why does everything have to be based off of the piano? You know, uh, we don't live in Europe. We live in America. And, and we're, we're African descent. So I'm saying, well, why can't things be based off of the drum or off of the chorus or off of a bamboo flute? So I began to look for different sort of uh, fundamentals or foundations for how the music was constructed. Because I feel in one way, you know, uh, because of imperialism, you have pianos all over the world. Right. One button you know. for each note. <laughs> so, you know, like, I, why don't you have, uh, you know, Indian, why don't you have tablets all, sure. all over the world? You know, why are they just in India? You know, because, again, you know, it, it's like, it's told, okay, slaves, you don't have any culture. You've got to learn how to make tea for the, for the Queen of England. So, you know, you, you, you occupy a country and then you say, okay, the Queen in England is now your queen and this is a tea ceremony. Meanwhile, you're forgetting saying that all the culture, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of culture and repertoire that, that's been developed through music and art and dance in your country is, is valueless because I'm English or Dutch or Portuguese, or I'm, uh, or even the the people who discovered, who supposedly discovered America or found America, uh, were English, Dutch, Portuguese, and the the indigenous culture uh, was neglected. You know, when you read and study about it, you find out that Yotanka Iyotanka Sinibu uh, was a great composer. When I when I mention composers of American composers, I always mention Geronimo. Goyal, and I always mention uh, Sitting Bull, because they composed uh, chants, bird songs, nature songs, and then not ever can, you know, include it. When I, when I talk about minimalist composers, you know, I always mention James Brown, because James Brown would just start a song with a uh. Yeah. You can't get no more minimal than that. No, very You good. know, one sound with an utterance, and then it would just take off from there. Uh, 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 and then we're off. So I consider him a minimalist composer. So it's, uh, you know, I think these things, 
the education has to be widened a little bit with about who's who, and uh, we have to sort of begin to control our own uh, scenario and narrative about music and art. Because they're going to get it wrong, and there's a reason why they're giving it to them, giving it to everybody wrong. I'm glad you brought up that about the piano, because reading uh, Charles Mingus Beneath the Underdog, he said he only composed on piano. He, he wouldn't compose on bass. Well, because you know, a lot of musicians, again, um, however brilliant they are, they know what they know and what they've been told. You know, what you call something called post-traumatic slave syndrome, where black Americans are in the country, but they think, you know, the phrase like, uh, you know, they're trying to straighten their hair for years and years because they're told that they're ugly. They're told that their music is not music. But if you go to the conservatory and learn that music, then you're really a musician. But if you just like make your own drum and tune it and play it, so that's not music. That's primitive music. That's folk music. But the other music is classical music. So it's it's really um, sort of a, a wrong idea is what I feel. A very, very wrong idea. I, I agree with you. I, 100%, 100%. You know, we're at the end of the second hour, November 5, 2022 edition of Watt Pedro. So special guest, William Parker. Hold tight for hour three. November 5, 2022. It's the third hour. Watt from Pedro. Show. Here we go. <laughs>
Watford Pedro show. We start off the third hour with Sunsaw, William Parker, featuring Ellen Christie. Then Hot Pursuit of Happiness with the sound. William Parker, Tabasco. You like Tabasco? Or, or is uh, it the... I'm, uh, learning. I'm learning. Okay. Because it's a state, too, in Mexico, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, no burn, no learn, right? And uh, t- tell me about Ellie Christie. You know, and, and who was this other lady, too? Alina Conquest. Well, um, Ellen Christie was one of the first people I met in the early 70s when she first came to New York. She was a singer, and she lived over at 501 Canal Street, a building founded by, at that time, Gene Ashton, also known as Coopermore now, and David S. Ware lived over there, Alan Brofman, uh, drummer Tom Bruno, and uh, she uh, studied with Gene Lee, her as well as uh, another singer, uh, Lisa Sokoloff, and uh, she's been on the scene with the New York City Artist Collective and doing her own work uh, for all of these years. It's now 2022, and we just came up with a collaboration that's going to probably be released in 2023. And it's um, it's just her doing arranging off of my music and electronics and uh, spoken word. I'm doing all spoken word on it. Whoa. And that'll be out next year. And uh, Lena Conquest? And Lena, I met Lena, uh, I guess, in the 90s. Um, um, at, through an artist uh, at an artist house, Alan Carilli, and um, she just told me, you know, she was a singer, and uh, I needed a singer for for a project, and so I call. I had, and this is something I've been I do all my life. I hadn't heard her sing, but I said, okay, uh, I'll give. I gave her a call, and we did this was um, uh, the concert. And then she fit right in with the concept I was dealing with called Raining on the Moon, which was an extension of the quartet with the vocalist. And because uh, there was a lot of vocal music. Like I said, I, I, I wrote words and there was a lot of vocal music. And so, you know, we always needed more than one singer to do the interpretation because of a huge variety of material and ideas. So, um, and she um, has done, gone, she did the Curtis Mayfield project with us, called the Inside Songs of Curtis Mayfield, and uh, many, many, many trips to Europe and uh, doing workshops here in America. And uh, she's a great asset to the music. Yeah, yeah. Uh- let me ask you about testimony because that's the first th- thing I saw you do live, and uh, I got the cassette. I remember at the uh, at the end of the gig, a, t- a testimony. That's the solo bass, right? Right, exactly. Well, it's you know the idea of um, playing solo has been. Uh, a mainstay in Europe. Uh, they, they have solo bass, solo tuba, solo flute, whatever instrument you have, 
people would come sit down and listen. You could hear a pin drop, and they'd listen to someone, you know, play their instrument solo. Yeah. And um, so I had taken bass solos all my life and uh, just began to sort of move over from away from the band to, to, to investigate the material and, and stratas and textures of playing solo bass. I was beginning to get a concept of, of sound. And um, I had began to, to sort of mark down what I thought of the solo bass and what I thought of the bass, that I was looking at the bass like a drum, and uh, my G-string was a ride cymbal, my D-string was a snare drum, my A-string was a low tom-tom, and my E-string was a gong. And then that's playing pizzicato. Then playing arco, I looked at, at each string as a band of light. And when you put uh, a prism, you put light through a prism, you see these colors. And those harmonics. And in the harmonics were the healing aspects of sound. And so that and so that's what I wanted to investigate. So we did, you know, this piece Cathedral of Light, yeah. which is again is just all harmonics. And all like, you know, you're closing your eyes and you're waking up and you see the, the, all of this light. And uh, which also began to to move towards what one calls a tone world. And that was sort of the basis for the mythology of uh, of the music that I, that I I was being I was being associated with it because they said, well, you know, you get a label as free jazz, but to me, free jazz is basically you are free to do what you want to do within a piece of music. And I learned that when I was playing with Cecil Taylor. When I played with Cecil Taylor, yeah. I was free. To play the blues, to play a samba, to play a bossa nova, yeah. to play six, eight, seven, eight, all of this stuff I was free to do uh, in, in any piece of music that we did. And uh, but I don't know if people heard it or not, but that's really not my, you know, concern so much. But, you know, um, it was the idea that you're free to do what you want with your life and you're free to do what you want in your music. So that was to me free jazz. And people think it's like playing free with no rules. You know, there's, there are rules to everything. There's, not, there's nothing in life that doesn't have rules or consequences or that doesn't have a, um, a map or a structure. Everything has structure. There's not, nothing in, in the world that has no structure. Right, right. Yeah, we, get, we use these words that are kind of not telling the truth. Sometimes I want to play another song that you uh, sent me with Ellen Christie. Something live.
Please don't cut my throat I am your sister Please don't cut my throat Let me live to see the sunrise If you kill me now, you have killed yourself Each one of us was the savior if we wanted 
Pedro Show, last music for this edition. Start off with This Is My Country, live. William Parker featuring Ellen Christie in the New Life Tabernacle Generation, Praise Choir of Brooklyn. Then we had a bass player out of Chicago, Nick Macri, and Mono Nalawara. How to Be in the Body, Rubber O Cement with Yawn Count, Takeoff. And finally, Tootsie Orphans. William Parker. I guess this is from the Raining on the Moon. Yeah, yes. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Do you have a website? Well, I think it's just uh, williamparkermusic.net. Okay. Dot com. You, you just put William Parker, and it'll come right up. Okay. So Music, it'll come can, right up. Yeah, that, that, that's a great resource. And what are your plans your next plans? What are your future plans here? Well, I'm playing this evening in New York at 107 Suffolk Street, Clemente's Soto Valles Cultural Center. We're doing a, a group called Southern Satellites, yeah. which is a, um, a mi- mixture of Dominican and Cuban and sort of a Latin flavor and African rhythms. Yeah. Uh, blended with melodies and excursions into creative, free-flowing music, ballads. And I'm um, doing that tonight at uh, 8 o'clock, part of uh, Arts for Art event. 
And then um, November 20th, I'll be in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. Playing with uh, Daniel Carter and the drummer Mike Reed. You know what drummer man ended up in Madison was Clyde Stubblefield. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great drummer. Did you ever see Bobby Boykin with the Sun Ra? Ronnie Boykins? Yeah. Oh, I used to hang out with Ronnie Boykins all the time. Because he wrote songs for Sun Ra, right? I think he did. I think I, he did. I covered one of his songs, Tiny Pyramids. And, you know, I really think that's the future of a lot of bass is, is as composers. Not trying to be fake guitarists, you know, 10, 12 strings and stuff. But as a composition instrument, I just think there's a lot of future. Well, I find that, you know, all bass players are, are, are just being great bass players is that bass players are can, you know, really guide and help navigate the music and push the music, know when to play soft, know when to play louder, know when to play fast, know when to play soft. But they also have a very good sense of composition, very good sense of, of composition and how to put music together because they work with a lot of different people doing different kinds of music. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you, you, usually you're... Kind of, you, you have to fit it in there, right? Because, like, a lot of people are composing on the piano and the guitar, and, you know. Kind of well, yeah I, mean, yeah, I mean, the music, the sound comes in your head. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you sort of have to, you know, remember it, write it down to convey it to other people. And you can, can do that. You can do that many different ways. Like Charles Mingus would sing his music. Right. Because he wasn't all that deep on, on you know, notating. It was la later on he had people orchestrate and notate for him. Right. But but he would sing the music um, and you'd get it, you know. Um, so how you convey the music or share the music with musicians, there, there are lots of ways of doing that. It's just whatever whatever is your preference. Okay, that makes good sense. There's just something about, I think the bass is still kind of mysterious. And, and that's a positive thing. Right, right, right. People feel it even more than they hear it. But I love your tone. When I saw that gig, you doing the testimony. God, it was sweaty. It was a uh, July or August day. Man, it was sweaty. But I, 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 can't, I just can't ever. The, the tone, there's nothing like a good stand-up bass sound. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it just it's such an honor to have you aboard. Anytime you want to come on the show, will you? You got new music or anything? You're invited. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Keep on keeping on, please. People, it's been the November 5, 2022 edition of Watt Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>